0: Welcome to Backlog Buds, Episode 3, Metal Gear Rising Revengeance.
1: Hello, I am Grant.
2: Hi, I'm
0: Char. Hi, I'm your oldest brother, Aaron Clooney. Uh, So, yeah, today we are talking about Metal Gear Rising Revengeance.
1: Now, uh, before we begin, just getting some content warnings out of the way, it contains Metal Gear series spoilers, of course, especially Rising. Uh, There is violence
0: towards dog-shaped robots. Uh, However, there there are cats in the game, and it is completely impossible to do any harm to them whatsoever. They always perfectly dodge everything, despite it being a super-fast ninja cyborg with a high-frequency katana that's swinging the sword. Yes. Uh, also, it gets into
1: political issues and there's some story elements about child trafficking.
0: Yeah, it 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 gets into some pretty heavy stuff. We are definitely going to have to talk about po- political stuff as we get further into the podcast. Uh, oh, and we're planning to do this game in two parts on the podcast. So it's, it's the second half that we're going to do later that's going to get into the Heavy political stuff. There is literally a character who utters the phrase, make America great again, despite this game having come out in 2013. Yeah, it's really something.
2: Back then, Parody was only three years ahead of the Republican Party. So. <laughs> <laughs> All
0: right. So uh, let's start with some uh, a little bit of background on the game itself to kind of set things up. So, uh, Grant, you were the one who picked the games. So tell, uh, tell our audience a bit about it.
1: All right, so Metal Gear Rising Revengeance is a game developed by Platinum Studios and published by Konami. It is chronologically the last Metal Gear Universe game. Some people are really picky about canon and say it doesn't count because Kojima didn't do it, but, you know, it's the last one in the timeline, so who's going to contradict it? And... Uh... It is a very fast-paced action game, uh, as many Platinum games are, and I picked it because it seemed pretty pertinent to events that have been happening now, and it's just plain a good game. Also, it's the game's
0: five-year anniversary all right, so uh, if you want to try the game out yourself, uh, it's available on PS3. I, I actually got a used copy to play for the podcast for like $6. Uh, it's on Xbox 360, and it's on PC. Um, if you want to just watch the story, which is by itself still really cool, someone put up a YouTube video called, like, Metal Gear Rising Revengeance, the movie, and it's about two and a half hours, so not a bad way to spend an evening Um the game itself is about you can play it like front to back if you don't you know spend a lot of time on secrets or replaying it to get more uh, unlocks and stuff in about five hours. Um, it has codec calls as is the tradition for the Metal Gear games, um, so you can like call up Raiden's companion characters and talk to them. Well, you get you know prescripted conversations, I should say. And someone made a video that's just all of those all at once. And it is about six hours and 20 minutes. So it's actually longer than the game itself. It's beautiful. Yeah. And we will talk about those a little bit more as we go along. Um, So let's uh, next, we're going to talk a bit about the actual gameplay. Yeah. So what makes this game a bit
1: unique and sets it apart from the other platinum games is there's a big focus on parrying in the game. If you don't do parrying, you're gonna have a hard time. And you also have something called blade mode where you can hold down a shoulder trigger or shoulder button, depending on how you've got it set up. And it'll slow down time for a bit and you can make extremely precise cuts with your right analog stick. So you just move the stick around find an angle you like and then cut along it
0: Mm -hmm. and there's all kinds of stuff where like you cut enemies apart you and there's bosses where you can uh, cut certain pieces off of them to take away their special advantages and things like that it's really cool it is very goofy that uh because you know the game has a tutorial and uh, there's this character they call doctor who's this balding bespectacled german scientist and so they take certain game terms very seriously as an in-character thing. So you have this scientist character going, and now, now Raiden, you must use the ninja run. And now enter blade mode.
1: Yeah, it's very silly. This game is an amazing tone overall.
0: Mm-hmm. Like it, it deals with some very, very kind of really heavy, serious stuff. But it also is a Metal Gear game put simply so there it gets downright goofy here and there um um so i wanted to talk a little bit about uh at the front just about the soundtrack um because the, the soundtrack is really good it's this kind of uh it's it's heavy metal with some elements of electronics music and like it's practically its own character in the game i know people saying x is like a character is a cliche but i think it's true here um The soundtrack is by a composer named Jamie Christofferson, who's done a bunch of uh, movie and video game soundtracks. Um, Nothing, like, super well-known. Like, I think after this game, his next most high-profile game project would be, like, uh, Lost Planet 1 and 2. He actually, I read some interviews with him. He hadn't actually done any uh, heavy metal stuff before himself, or, like, only a handful of heavy metal compositions so he uh collaborated with a musician named logan Mater, who used to be the uh, guitarist from a band called machine head which if you're not familiar rocks pretty hard um and by the way if you if you give the soundtrack a listen and you you like the sound i found some other artists that do kind of a similar sound and those are uh the agonist escape the fate Five finger death punch and amaranth so yeah uh one more note about the soundtrack this is Grammy nominated
1: like this isn't just good for video game music it is just playing good
2: mm-hmm.
0: um and, and we'll get into it uh over the, as we talk about it more but like each track has lyrics that you know and it's the the lyrics are like a commentary on what is happening on screen and like when when it's during a boss fight it, it's like, the lyrics basically communicate something about the boss's philosophy of life, which does it, which makes it a lot more compact than it might be in a, a main metal series Metal Gear game.
2: Yeah, it ends up being a really clever device for keeping the pace of the game. Even though it has a significant amount of uh, cutscene content, it manages to shunt out a lot of the things that would be critical path stuff into optional... Diversions and gives you the actual important stuff as minor, either through play or as minor diversions from play, rather than making you sit through an hour long phone call like some of the games in the series have done. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, you do have guys
0: like literally like lecturing right in about memes and things, but those cutscenes, you know, like a long one would be like 10 minutes in this as opposed to. Yeah, half an
1: hour Raiden, the emoji sheriff meme is outdated You can't use it anymore (laughs) (laughs) The lifespan of a meme is only about two weeks, Raiden Those memes disappear
2: quickly Howdy, doctor I'm the sheriff of cutting left (laughs) hands
0: Oh my god, um, uh, that will make sense. Hopefully, perfect. after we explain more stuff going forward. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um. All right. So we're gonna jump into talking about the plot of the first half of the game. The game is organized into a series of chapters called File R dash and a Numbers, and it starts with File R zero zero.
1: Yeah. So when the game starts, it centers on a prime minister of an unidentified African nation talking about how his country's been rebuilt and just how impressed he is and happy for all the work he's put into it. Then, uh, he's in a limo and it turns out that he's got a bodyguard who is everybody's favorite Metal Gear Solid 2 protagonist, Raiden.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So he... Who, who the Prime Minister calls uh, Mr. Lightning Bolt.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. So he's traveling through his country and he's got this armed escort with him, which has been hired from a private military company because that's a thing in the world of Metal Gear Rising and the real world mm-hmm. called a Maverick. But Raiden prefers the term private security providers because, you know, he would just prefer to do bodyguard work where the goal is to try to keep people from getting hurt. So everything is going pretty well as they're just sort of expositing at each other until somebody stands in the road in front of the motorcade
0: and won't get out of the way. Yeah, like you see see one of the soldiers in the... Is that an APC or tank? What, a military vehicle with a huge gun on top. And he yells at the guy to get away and then finally opens fire. But because his assailant is none other than future Metal Gear Rising Revengeance boss Jetstream Sam, that's totally useless.
1: Yeah, so Jetstream Sam is just standing there in the middle of the road smirking. He smirks a lot. Oh yeah, that is his, like, he's a resting smirk face.
2: <laughs>
1: so he gets... Told to clear the road then he just charges the guy you know while he's being warned the guy opens fire with that little with that gun on top of his vehicle and then Jetstream sam pulls out a katana and cuts the guy in half like from head to groin perfectly evenly mm-hmm. yeah and this guy is a cyborg though so he's not full of guts he's full of
0: the like just hot metal now i guess mm-hmm. and yeah if you don't like seeing cyborgs cut and in, cut into pieces like this is not the game for you <laughs> whereas if you do like it it's the best game ever
1: yeah i've heard that this was actually an attempt to try to get around some of the things to avoid a CERO z rating in japan that
0: would explain a lot yeah um yeah so uh, we we should mention that like it's a big uh, genre fiction conceit that there are high frequency blades in this that are just ridiculously powerful. Now high frequency blades actually exist in real life. Like we were we were looking on the internet for them. Like there's a really cool video from some supplier using one to like cut bread, and it's just like you, just like with almost no pressure, the guy is able to like cut slices off of bread and cut into cakes and stuff and make like perfectly smooth cuts. So it's like, huh? That would be awesome to have in the kitchen. And it turns out, like, well, the 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 cheapest like high frequency blade that's actually listed for sale on like Amazon is like four hundred dollars, and it's like a little tiny nib nibble blade that would be great for like cutting sprues for like when you're building a Gundam model, maybe, but not much else. Yeah. Also, in real life, they have the much less cool name of ultrasonic knife. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it, it's apparently like. It's definitely at a stage where it's more like an industrial tool, but since this is a this is a Metal Gear game, we can extrapolate to uh, crazy cyborgs with ninja swords c- that can slice through just about anything. And, yeah, and we should mention that like there's not all terrain, but a bunch of objects in this are destructible. So, like when we were playing, like the, the joke Grant had was like, "Oh, Brighton's least favorite anime is One Piece." Uh, yes. Uh anyway, uh so yeah, so Sam has this uh red Murasame like katana and just yeah. The the even the ones who are cyborgs, the military contractors just get cut into ribbons. It's crazy.
1: Yeah, so uh there's some maneuvering done in the limo by Courtney who works with Raiden at the Maverick Security Company and then Writing gets out to fight some of the cyborgs that are currently chopping apart Maverick cyborgs, or maybe just regular dudes.
0: I don't know. It's hard to tell. Yeah, and it's a really cool, like, it's just a really badass looking scene where he steps out of the limo and like he has his sword in this in this like rectangular case, and he's holding it by a handle on the top, and it opens, and the sword. Crackling with electricity, drops out and hovers in the air just underneath the case, and then he grabs it and gets ready to fight. Yeah.
1: Oh, also, uh, I forgot to mention, in the limo, he's wearing a suit, and then
0: when he steps out, he just throws the suit off. Yeah, but it, it's very anime. Just, yeah. Yeah, he has a tearaway suit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I mean, you, it, that's another thing about this game is like. He has quite the butt and you see it a lot in this game like someone at uh, Platinum and or Konami like was definitely a fan of that kind of thing because yeah oh yeah for sure
1: so uh, let's see so yeah that's when the game finally gives you control and you get a pretty very simple tutorial just like you know you have light and heavy attacks and you want to mix them up and uh they also tell you that that Raiden needs to get around this barricade to get back to the limo. Mm-hmm.
0: And that's a, that's the a kind of a recurring thing is in this is that the the bad guys have like barricade trucks that they can just like drive into place and block off an area. And that's, that's one thing that like I I'm ambivalent about about the game is that like it has very little like verticality to the gameplay even though because like there's scenes in the game where Raiden right straight up runs up a wall but like a a 10 foot high barricade is totally impassable to him for gameplay reasons
2: mm. It was something that was especially jarring to me having recently come out of the spider-man game i know this is kind of an unfair comparison because they're completely different games five years apart but anytime there's a parkour system that is entirely horizontal it feels very strange to me these days
0: so in in the opening fight it's you know it's a tutorial so you're you're pretty much just learning how to cut through guys in this game which yeah right is really good at it because this is the, the the distant future year of 2018 where like cyborg technology is the new thing in military hardware and like even like baseline like grunt soldier cyborgs are still really powerful but then like in is like an elite combat cyborg who's just absurdly powerful next to a regular person. Yeah, I really
1: do love that the game takes place in 2018, by the way. (laughs) Like when we watched the Apple, it was made in like 1980, but projected a future 14 years ahead. This time it's 2013. and They said, you know what? This is what things are going to be like in five
2: years. Mm
0: -hmm. Well, they had, you know, Metal Gears in I don't even know what year in the original Metal Gear, so uh, <laughs> yeah.
2: Back in at least the seventies, I think, in Metal mm-hmm. Gear Solid 3, right? They had the precursors?
0: Uh
1: they had yeah, they didn't have proper metal gears, but they had machines that would lead down the path to Metal Gear.
0: Yeah. Um anyway, so so while all that is going on, like things are really going south for the Prime Minister and like the, the enemy cyborgs are just, like, killing all of his guards. And this is where we first meet uh, Sundowner.
2: Not a great name for a guy, considering I've always associated that with Alzheimer's. <laughs> oh. oh.
0: He, uh. he does, he, I mean, like, he's this huge, stocky cyborg guy. And, like, his head looks like an egg. Like, he, he's, like, halfway between a normal person and, like, one of the Santarins from Doctor Who. Oh, yeah, he is incredible. And, like, yeah. It, he, he's also the first of the real, like, scenery-chewing characters in this game. At, although, like, it's a wonder that there are stages left, considering how many characters are like that.
1: Yeah, I think his one of his very first lines is something like, oh, yeah, Africa's gone just a little too peaceful or something.
0: Yeah, yeah but it basically... Sundowner makes off with the Prime Minister, like, drags him out of the... Uh, the the limo which got flipped over and using his superior cyborg legs like leaps through the air on top of a building and oh yeah the uh, limo by the
1: way got flipped over because out of the ocean pops up a goddamn metal gear ray one of the final bosses of metal gear solid 2
0: (laughs) yep and it is yeah it's just this huge two-legged thing it, it looks like a kaiju, basically, like a, a a stylish metal kaiju that's going to tear through this African city.
1: Yeah. So he, yeah, so Sundowner grabs Namani and
0: runs away. Namani being the name of the prime minister. We hadn't said that Oh before.
1: Yes, yes. And uh, then Raiden has to fight Metal Gear Ray before he can resume chase.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, that's where we get one of the coolest songs on the soundtrack, which is full of cool songs. Which is "Rules of Nature." Like I don't know about you, but I I, I like catch myself going "Rules of Nature" at random times around the house. Like one of my roommates' friends was over, and he's like, "What were you saying?" Like, oh, <laughs> I've been playing this game. It's very silly. So to to give you an idea of the, here's a little bit of the lyrics. Uh, the time has come to an end. Yeah, this is what nature planned. Being tracked by a starving beast, looking for its daily feast. A predator on the verge of death, close to its last breath. Getting close to its last breath. Rules of nature.
1: Yeah. It never actually says what the rules of nature are, though. It kind of (laughs) implies them. I assume it's stuff like, be sure to put out your campfires and leave the area cleaner than when you found it. Leave only
0: footprints, take only memories. Yes, of carnage.
2: <laughs> yes. Leave only footprints, take only left hands. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, God. We're going to have to this explain g- the left hands thing before too long.
1: But. <laughs> oh, yeah, it'll... Yeah, there's, so, uh, yeah, Metal Gear Ray, it's been changed up a bit from its appearance in, metal, in the previous Metal Gear games in that it's been painted black and it's got, like, a logo on it now associated with the or oh wait no that might be not that might not be this one but uh whatever so it's this big giant three-story tall robot and Raiden's only got a katana which
0: is not a problem because yeah that's how this game works like like there there are actually like secondary weapons so you can pick up and use like grenades and rocket launchers but like they're very contextual and when they're actually useful and like the sword is still very much your main thing
1: Oh, yeah. So Metal Gear Ray, you know, this giant robot tries to stomp on Raiden, and this being the game that it is, Raiden can parry it. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of him improbably parrying things many, many times larger than himself, or parrying bullets, or cutting missiles in half, or, yeah. Yeah, one thing
1: I mentioned in the notes when I was uh, sort of setting the other two up to play is that Parrying will work against practically anything, even if it seems physically impossible.
0: Yeah, so you parry by hitting the light attack button while uh, pushing the, the directional stick in towards the direction of the attack. Although if you play on easy mode, it doesn't worry that much about the direction part. And yeah, I mean, it's a, it's completely essential to the game regardless. But the, like, if you could parry perfectly, you would take almost no damage through the whole game.
1: Yeah, the parry is, like, when you do a parry, you basically completely ignore an attack. Now, this is per attack, by the way. If an enemy is doing a combo, you have to parry every hit of it. Mm -hmm. But if you do a parry at just the right moment, then you get a parry counter, which is basically Raiden goes into slow-mo after parrying, and then you get to take some revengeance.
0: Yes, that that's another thing with this game is just that, like, because it was originally called like, uh, it, it started development under uh, Kojima Productions as Metal Gear Solid Rising, and then eventually, like, they were having trouble making it work, and like Platinum took over, and they retitled it. wasn't just Metal Gear Rising; it was Metal Gear Rising: colon, Revengeance. And while a lot of it is like right in getting you know, really righteously indignant about terrible things that are going on. None of it pretty much is him getting revenge, per se. Revengeance is more referring... Well, one, it's not a word. It It is a word.
1: No, seriously, it is.
0: (laughs) It is? Okay. Yeah. That's new. But I I applaud the dictionary for keeping up with how people use the language. But uh, two, it is... uh, Like, it is referring to the game mechanic of parrying and counter-striking more than any events in the game. Yeah. So, yeah, there's the
1: Metal Gear ray fight. You can parry the stomping. If it charges at you from the next block over, you can parry the head. It eventually gets to a point where you sort of wear it down. And when it's at a very, very, very low percentage of health then it starts doing these plasma blasts at you as you run at it. And when you get close enough, then it forms one of its arm wing things into a blade and just tries to bring it down on Raiden. And this is when Raiden just shoves his sword up and then sort of catches the gigantic blade the size of a train car. And this is when the game finally shouts rules of nature because they don't have any of the lyrics yet. They just sort of this game's got really good dynamic music. Yeah. So the blade comes down on Raiden's sword. He sort of pushes back up against it, pushing down on him. Then he grabs the gigantic Metal Gear's arm. Then he hurls it into the
0: sky. The entire, not the arm, the entire Metal Gear. Mm-hmm. It's, it like, it, it's the first boss fight of the game, and it is so epic, and it really, like, pulls you into the world of these crazy cyborgs fighting each other and stuff. It's,
1: yeah. Yeah, so Raiden jumps up onto the thing's blade arm, runs up it, slashing his katana a ton, and then just sort of jumps back down, then the thing's entire arm just falls apart into pieces and Metal Gear
0: Ray collapses. And then it's off to chase after Sundowner again.
1: Yeah, not a whole lot happens here. It's mostly kind of a ninja run tutorial. hmm Yeah, the ninja run is uh, you hold down one of your shoulder buttons as Raiden is running, and while this is happening, he will jump up any tall obstacles, uh slide under any gaps that he can and deflect whatever bullets are flying his way.
0: Yeah, like I feel like they could utilize it more in the level design, but when you do use it and like when when they have appropriate challenges for you for it, like it feels really badass to use. Oh yeah, it's it is great.
1: So uh you sort of chase after sundown or some more, but then some missiles fly down, and guess what? It turns out you can't keep chasing Sundowner because Metal Gear Ray isn't dead yet. You just chopped off one of its
0: arms, and it's still fighting. And the, the second half of the fight winds up being even more epic, because there, there's stuff like it fires a barrage of missiles, and you have to use Ninja Run to hop along the missiles. And like, there's a part where there's a tower falling down, and like, Raiden runs down the tower in midair. Like, yeah, it, it's, it's just really spectacular and fun to watch and fun to play.
1: Yeah, so eventually, you know, Raiden runs straight down, plants his sword in Ray's head, then just runs
0: down it and cuts the
1: entire thing in half.
0: Yep, and then it explodes, and then Ryden, not looking at it because cool guys don't look at explosions, they sheet their swords and look away. Um, oh, he doesn't just sheath his sword. He does this
1: weird thing where he, like, wipes it against the inside of his arm.
0: Yeah, it's it's a it's a cliche in, like, samurai movies and anime that they do the... I'm sure there's a term for it or something, but there's a particular, like, super stylish uh, forge sheathing technique that they use. And, yeah. Yeah, he, he does that, and every character with a katana in this does it. And, yeah. Like, if you ever have the opportunity to mess around with, like, a plastic samurai sword, Tried doing it. It's really fun.
1: <laughs> yeah, so at this
0: point, Sundowner hops onto
1: a train as Raiden's chasing him. So Raiden follows, and by follows I mean rounds a corner while he's running at top speed, using his fingers to drag the dra- ground and drift, before jumping on running along the side of a building,
0: then jumping off onto the train. Yeah, so uh, eventually he gets he catches up to them on the train, and so sundowner and sam are there along with the the prime minister yeah so and this is when we have sundowner kind of uh philosophize a little bit and he's just like give war a chance like it really bothers him that people are like going for peace because it's bad for business and so that's why it's been really inconvenient for them that the Prime Minister has been such a peacemaker. Oh,
1: yeah, he's he outright says at one point, like, oh, what about all the good wars done for us? You know, creating jobs, boosting the economy, uh, giving everybody a common purpose. You know, right now, how's an honest
0: warmonger supposed to make a living? Uh, yeah, I've been thinking about that because, well, I've, I've been playing this game, and it's kind of... The, the problem is that, like for whatever reason like war is the most politically palatable way for governments to spend money so it's kind of like they could totally inject the same amount of money into the economy by doing literally anything else that puts money in people's hands but yeah war so yeah yeah that was a downer but there's going to be a few of those along the way oh yeah for
1: sure Alright, so after Sundowner rants and gives his big, ridiculous speech, Raiden goes to try to save Prime Minister and but Jetstream Sam is there, and he blocks Raiden. So Sundowner goes ahead and just stabs the Prime
0: Minister, and Raiden is very sad. Yeah, like, not just stabs him, but, like, takes his giant, giant scissor blades and, like, rams one of them right through, like, st- like just completely runs the Prime Minister through, blood everywhere, then throws him, throws the body off of the train. And then, uh, a. I'm trying to think of what the, the name for that term, type of aircraft is. The kind with the. Well, in game, they call it a tilt rotor. I think in real life, it's called a VTOL.
2: I think I've heard tilt rotor in. Real life as well, so I'm not 100 sure.
0: Yeah, well, well, VTOL is vertical tail and landing, so there are various forms of VTOL, and then I think tilt rotor because it refers to the 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 plane with two giant rotors that it can uh, position either upward or forward for different modes of travel. But yeah, anyway, yeah, one of those picks up. Uh... Now the distinction is completely lost on me because I think all guns are AK 47s. <laughs> okay then um so yeah so the so yeah the sundowner gets his pickup and you're and right in his left to confront Jetstream sam and so that this is the first boss fight against a person in this game Hmm. and which also has some more philosophizing in it oh
1: yeah like Jetstream sam is enjoying this fight like they're in a train tunnel jet sam is you sort of testing raiden in fact at the in this fight if you do not move at all when it starts he just kind of strolls up to you like real leisurely he just sort of you know spreads his hands out like hey come on do something and then you fight for a while so he thinks that oh hey you know raiden is self-taught and not half bad but something's bugging him you know something seems a little off about the way Raiden fights so they fight a bit more and during this fight you Raiden is losing pretty badly like even if you parry you still take chip damage which is a thing that doesn't really happen much in the entire game.
2: It's a really bizarre thing to throw into the tutorial level by teaching to parry and then teaching that it doesn't work all the time mm mm-hmm. mhm
0: well, in, like in general, the thing is that like Sam is like an absurdly good sword fighter. Like, like later on, they they that like he, like before he had any cyborg parts at all, and he doesn't even now have all that many. He like completely annihilated a, a group of guys that had attacked him or something, and like this is a fight that like Raiden is scripted to lose.
1: Yeah, so he Sam figures out. Oh, hey, I figured out what's weird. You deny your weapon its purpose. It thirsts for the blood of its enemies, but you hold it back.
0: Yeah, it's kind of a whole thing throughout the course of this game that Raiden is kind of, like, trying to figure out, uh, like, basically the, the the major theme is, like, can you use violence to fight violence? And the answer is yes, provided you're a cyborg ninja with a sweet high-frequency katana.
1: Yeah. So he, he tells this to Raiden and Raiden just sort of replies that, you know, that's that, you know, that's nonsense because my sword is a tool of justice. And Sam just thinks he is just like half laughing, half offended. And uh let's see, I think this is when Sam uses that unique property of his katana and chief.
0: Yeah, uh... Yeah, it's kind of the deciding moment, not that Raiden was doing well, but like his uh his Sam Scabbard has a thing where it like fires a bullet at the the uh the, the guard of his sword to make it pop out incredibly fast. Is that what it does? Huh? Hmm. That's what it looks like anyway. It has like a magazine stuck into the side of it. Uh, like to hold bullets or maybe some kind of explosive charge, but yeah. Okay, it, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah,
1: I assumed that it was just like the sword was the bullet. <laughs> Maybe. And it was firing
0: it out hilt first. But yeah, it, it what was it that it hit him it hit Raiden in the face or just let him draw super fast?
1: Uh yeah, it lets him draw super fast and because the sword is coming out at the speed of a bullet, it hits really hard. Like mm. he just slices Raiden's arm straight off.
0: And it gushes blood.
1: Oh yeah. And Raiden just like
0: says, not again.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. That that was like a, a bit of a Douglas Adams moment or something. Just not again.
2: Yeah.
0: Or, or but but the the voice actor for Raiden like mostly is pretty level, but he does ham it up every now and then or Actually, a lot in the second half of the game.
1: Yeah, I think part of it is because when he was originally picked to play and it was Metal Gear Solid 2. And he played him as this kind of uh, naive kind of... Um, you know, he is just kind of an inexperienced special agent guy. But, you know, they're still using that guy now. So he's got a kind of... Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so Raiden's arm gets cut off, and then the game lets you play with, as Raiden with his arm cut off.
0: Mm-hmm. Doesn't go well.
1: Oh, yeah. He just cuts Raiden across the face and, I guess, destroys his one of his
0: eyes. Yeah. Yeah. That's why he has that, like, uh, eye patch thing through, like, the rest of the game. Oh, no, they put that over his good eye. Huh. There's a lot of little things that are hard to follow in this game, but... Or, I said there's a lot of things that, like, they explain at great length in Kodak calls that you can miss. And not just, like, food tourism tips. Yeah,
2: And they're given equal importance in the Kodak calls.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Did you know that they make fish curry in Guyana?
1: Oh, yeah, it's amazing.
0: The Kodak calls, not
1: the fish curry in Guyana. I don't know what the fish curry in Guyana is.
0: Yeah, I'd be willing to give it a try, but I don't know. Um, Yeah, so, anyway... Raiden loses an eye, loses a hand, and then the train comes out of the tunnel. And Boris, who is uh, the Russian guy who is the boss of uh, the Maverick company that uh, Raiden works for, is like driving alongside, and he fires a rocket. Yeah, he. Well, he starts off firing with a machine gun, I think. Yeah, that's right. And then he fires a rocket at the uh, the VTOL aircraft but the aircraft has flares which which completely shocks Boris for some reason and then it goes around a corner of a mountain before he can uh, get the next rocket out. So so that's where file r00 ends. yeah
1: then uh, so as a starting tutorial ish level, did
0: any of you have strong thoughts about it um, like 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 I was saying like the like, early on, like, the, the fight with Metal Gear Ray was spectacular. But, like, I feel like the the fight where you are definitely going to lose against Sam was, like, a poor choice for a tutorial level.
2: Mm. Yeah, I, I definitely agree there. It was sort of a... I feel like of the three of us, I am the most critical of this game because I played it in the throw of season Seasonal Effective Disorder. But the very beginning of the game really sort of didn't do a great job of setting up gameplay expectations, even though one thing I thought was kind of interesting was that by starting with the final boss of Metal Gear Solid 2, it sort of set up this theme of escalation, but then it immediately sort of deflates that against the Christ, I can't remember his name. I want to say like Pathway Sam, but that's not right at all. Slipstream. Jetstream Sam. Jetstream Sam. The fight against Jetstream Sam. Edit that in so I don't sound like an idiot.
0: I'm totally going to leave this.
2: <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah, you're saying? Oh, uh, no, I think that more or less covers it. it sort of, it, doesn't, it, it sets up some interesting things, but I feel like it also drops the ball in some ways. And I feel like having it put you into this fight that you are going to lose that doesn't really have a lot of mechanical connection with the rest of the game is sort of a weird way to end a tutorial. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I can see that. I wonder if they're trying to sell the idea that... Cyborgs are stronger than, or at least Jetstream Sam is stronger than Rey, I guess.
0: Well, I mean, he he's, until you get the powered up uh, Raiden at the end of the game, like, he is, like, one of the most powerful characters of this period. Yeah, true, true. And, like, Raiden can beat Metal Gear Rey, so, like, it, hypothetically, if Sam went against Rey, it would be even shorter.
1: yeah. Alright, so are uh, we ready to move on to file R01? I think so.
0: Alright, so this starts off with three weeks later. Yep, uh so Raiden has had his body completely rebuilt and he's in much better shape with his hand back and new upgrades and stuff.
1: Yeah, they replaced his good eye and then put a eye and put a bandage eye patch thing over his bad one.
0: Mm-hmm. Also, this is I think this is where they first you first show him with the creepy cyborg lower jaw which is like black and has a row of teeth so it's like a skull Mm -hmm. kind of thing. it's a very distinctive look and it's and it's really weird and creepy and i'm sort of glad the game doesn't make you look at it that much
1: yeah and this is also when the game finally kind of shows maverick hq and you start to talk or hear from more of the characters there you beat uh, courtney kevin uh, Boris and of course Doctor.
0: Yep. He he has an actual name, but everyone calls him Doctor with a K and with the German pronunciation, and he's one of my favorite characters in the game. He's just this like science weirdo who's always really excited about sciency things, sometimes at the expense of human stuff. Even though if if you go through all of the codec calls with him, he's actually a really good guy.
1: Yeah. During his establishing thing, he explains two new abilities that Raiden has. The first is that he can use his sword to steal electrolytes from the cyborgs he attacks. Yep, it's what cyborgs crave. (laughs) Beat me to it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Second is that he now has access to a sort of Zondatsu thing where if you attack a weakened opponent in the right spot then you can take a thing that is basically the cyborg's spine, which is full of healing nano paste and full of electrolytes.
0: Yeah, so what it means when you're playing the game is like you fight guys and then you can hit them and go into blade mode and it'll pop up with a little rect- uh, square. And if you cut through that square, then it'll pop up with a little quick time thing and you push circle. I- I'm saying the... Uh, playstation controls because that's what i played and if you hit that all right then right will reach into the guy who he's cut in half and pull out this thing that's like a chain of glowing blue spheres and crush it i think they're gushers yeah yeah just lovely cyborg gushers that are that are glow in the dark and probably toxic and Uh, suddenly his zandatsu gauge and his health pop up completely full
1: yeah so no matter how badly hurt you are in a fight If you manage to pull off a Zandatsu on an enemy, then you are good.
0: Mm -hmm. And that's, like, very core gameplay from here on through the game.
1: Yeah, so the Doctor sums it up as, Okay, you know, take their electrolytes, take their healing packs, and take one more thing.
2: Their left hand! Because
0: that's where they store a lot of data. But it's still just, like... Like, like... They're cyborgs, but it's still a little bit morbid. And, like, Kevin even is like, oh, you're like a vampire, blah!
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. And as Doctor says, oh, yeah, and their left hands, you know, he's cradling a cyborg left hand in his hands before placing it on what is effectively, like, one of those structures in wine cellars, except instead of wine, it's left hands of cyborgs.
0: (laughs) He has quite a collection, yeah, several dozen of them. It's yeah, yeah, it's morbid when you think about it that each of them came from a person, but yeah, uh, it's all about the good vintages.
1: <laughs> yes, just follow him. Yeah. <laughs> you can probably lure a Doctor into a cellar if you promise him a good look at a really good vintage left hand, and while he's distracted, Yeah, so the the left hand
0: of a yeah. <laughs> Yes.
2: yes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay. Did not expect that reference to come up in this, but good. Um yeah, so Raiden, like they they launch him on some kind of like rocket sled thing and he lands on the beach with a huge splash. That seems really conspicuous. And the beach is the first time you run into a cat in the game and like I mentioned before, like cats in this are just perfect invincible dodging machines. And it's like if if Raiden could learn from how cats move, he would be unbeatable. They're very
1: good. So then, um, yeah, the idea is that Raiden is in Abkhazia now. Because what happened was they tried to figure out who led the attack on Mani and discovered it was this one PMC called Desperado. He found out Desperado is working with a guy in Abkhazia, Dolzaev, to lead a rebellion. So Raiden is moving in to sort of stabilize things and also fight Desperado.
0: Mm-hmm. And boy, there's going to be plenty of fighting because of course there is.
1: Yeah, this is um, this is for Metal Gear Rising, a relatively uneventful level. It's almost kind of like an extended tutorial. Well,
0: it's where you first get the uh, Zandatsu and the electrolytes thing, yeah. so... Like they, they, they could have probably crammed that into the first level, but they, they put it here. So you have to kind of, if you're playing for the first time, you're learning how that works.
2: It's sort. Of, I feel like this, the, this is probably the proper tutorial of the game, where the first part doesn't actually have the reward structures or incentives that act that contextualize what makes the rest of the gameplay interesting. Like before you get to the point mm-hmm. you have it's in Dotsus and the incentive to cut off. Left hands going to blade mode sort of puts you into this sword purgatory where you can just cut a guy apart indefinitely for no actual reason, and <laughs> yeah, it, it's sort of fun but
0: sort of goofy that like because when you do the sword mode, like it has a counter of like how many pieces you've cut things into, and because you know there's smaller pieces that you're cutting through, some there are times when I've gotten it to show like 400 plus pieces that I've sliced like one guy into. And then the chunks all fall to the ground. It's kind of insane. Yeah. So in
1: Abkhazia, Raiden sort of gets into a fight that's just basically an
0: introduction to Blade Meter and Zandatsu. Yeah, like they're like a bunch of uh cyborg troops, nameless guys show up and start attacking him, and you can hack through them pretty quickly.
1: Yeah. Then they give you kind of a stealth tutorial, kind of. The game doesn't really have so much of a stealth system, but they let you know that, yeah, a stealth system does exist. And, you know, you can just sort of jump down from above and stab an enemy unawares.
0: Yeah, it, it, there's, uh, on PlayStation, it's Circle. It's the action button, the same one you use for, like, opening doors and whatnot. And, like, if you get, if you get into a position where a guy is unaware of you then you can push that and Raiden will just do a one-hit kill on him. But like... I should describe this one-hit kill.
1: So it's a the stealth kill from above. This is how it looks like. Raiden is above them. There's a little prompt. You press the button. Raiden jumps into the air, does a flip, grabs his katana in his cyborg foot... Lands on the guy and just sort of plunges the katana through the head all the way down through. Then he jumps back up, does another flip, pulls the katana into his hand, and then you can go into blade mode to then pull out his
0: electrolytes. This is stealthy. (laughs) I'm stealthy! (laughs) Raiden has all kinds of crazy moves to where, and you can like buy new skills later on to give him even more of them. He does do crazy stuff with, with, like, cutting guys up with his feet, too. It's kind of great. Yeah, this would be
1: the precursor to Bayonetta's gun shoes. Mm -hmm.
0: Well, it it did literally come one year before uh, Bayonetta from the same company. So, yeah. Oh,
2: okay. Oh, uh, I was saying it's a stealth kill because the guy he's killing doesn't notice it. (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah, uh, like, it's not,
0: uh, it's... It's you know, it's definitely not a main series Metal Gear game, but like it it has a little bit of stealth, but like even when the game kind of prods you towards being stealthy, like it's really easy for things to turn into a giant fur ball where you just have to cut your way through guys. Yeah. So then you fight,
1: um So this is when they introduce the first of three civilians that you can rescue. It's really minor, but I guess you got some unique codec call if you rescue them. Uh, and if you rescue all of them, you get an achievement. Hmm. I
2: think I completely missed that. I didn't even know they were actually rescuable. I just,
1: oh god! So if you want to rescue the civilian, the way it works is, Desperado has a couple cyborgs in front of like you know a regular unenhanced civilian, you know, and they're threatening them, and there's a conversation going on. If the conversation completes, they shoot and kill the civilian. If they see Raiden, they'll shoot the civilian. But if you take the civilian, is immune to Raiden's attacks. So, what I do is I take a rocket launcher, aim it at the civilian, blast those other two away.
2: (laughs) (laughs) It works. They do talk about the Sons of the Patriot system reducing civilian casualties, so I guess it's still working. (laughs)
0: <laughs> I'm thinking of uh, the rift tracks of the Dark Knight, where like one guy goes, "No more dead cops," and the rift they're like, "Ah, oh, it's, the, it's Gotham City's cop immortality lobby." <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: so I, yeah, so as long as you can like do something to shove both of them away from the civilian, then they will focus on you instead. Uh, the civilian will still catch attacks from other enemies, but in general, you don't really have, like... You don't have many options for dealing with civilians, and they usually... With civilian rescues, and they usually involve, uh... Involve, um, the use of sub-weapons. Though there are a few moves that are pretty useful for saving them, but again, they're, like, three in the game, and they don't really give you much of a reward. So... It's not a crucial skill to master. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is when um, you... Let's see, you fight through some more cyborgs, and then this is when the game introduces the first UG, or unmanned gear, since the Metal Gear Ray fight. And it is the Gecko. Describe... well. How would you
2: describe the Gecko? It is... It's like a bull had the body of a Tyrannosaurus Rex. It's very... It's very apt. It's the sort of lizard-like bipedal machine, but it will its movements are still very bovine. It will still sort of scurry around and charge like a bull would. All the unmanned gears have this very... They sort of showed they have a primitive artificial intelligence by emphasizing how animalistic they are, which is a really interesting effect from a machine.
1: Huh.
0: I never caught... Yeah, I never picked up on that. That's really good. Yeah, it's just, it. it's one of those things, like, was that the same one they had in the trailer for Metal Gear Solid 4? Oh, yeah. Yeah, because, like, they had those, and it's, it's like, oh, they're these weird robot things that are making movies, mooing sounds, and they're kind of creepy, really. It's just like, oh, military science has decided to do something that's obviously wrong. Okay, because they have these, like, weird fleshy legs, and they can jump and kick really hard, and yeah. Yeah, they
1: moo and they let out these, like, really mournful cow noises when you
0: hurt them a lot. Mm-hmm. And it's a thing that they, they get into more in this game that, like, the AIs are actually, like, they can't just, like, copy-paste the programs from them. They're They actually have to be individually trained, so there's a bunch of weird stuff with that going on. And, yeah, that includes apparently bipedal cow things.
1: Yeah, which occasionally, I'm not sure what causes it to trigger, aside from, like, some doing damage, but sometimes the geckos just, like, lean forward as if they're vomiting, and then this green goo
0: just spills out onto the ground. Yeah, the, yeah, (laughs) it's, it's quite a thing.
2: It's weird!
0: Like, everything in this, in the Metal Gear universe, like, they, they, they flesh out the backstory so, so much, it's. A lot of it is buried in codec calls, but like it's there and you can find out if you really want to. But bleh. yeah, like there's a codec call that
1: explains why flares in the year 2018 still work against those uh, rockets that Boris was launching. All
0: right. So uh, I believe this is after the geckos is where we get introduced to one of the coolest characters in the game, LQ-84i. Oh yeah, there's this uh, voice that just sort of comes out from nowhere at first. As Ryan's
1: walking around inside a building,
0: and then like like he's walking through like a like bridge area of the stone building, and some kind of like crazy chainsaw thing cuts through like scrapes the bottom of his chin as he's trying to flip backwards to dodge, and and cuts through the entire section of building. So that he's fault he falls down. Oh yeah, it is like. It is
1: like if you knew a guy was in another room and then you stabbed a chainsaw through the wall
0: to try to kill him. But like some kind of crazy high frequency chainsaw or something cuz it just like goes through stone like butter. Yeah. So yeah, so so you have you're you're confronted with this artificial intelligence like dog wolf creature and he actually like like it he it uh has uh, like full human intelligence, basically not very emotional, but like can actually talk. And it tells Raiden about how like it is direct. Like my directive is to kill you. Failure failure results in memory erasure. Yeah. He talks about like, oh yeah,
1: I am much more intelligent than humans. And then Raiden being kind of snarky asks him, okay, then what's the meaning of life? Why are we here? <laughs>
0: then lq84i says i am here to kill yes. you <laughs> there, there are some great one liners in this it's true um yeah uh so uh, lq84i has kind of a neat design like cuz he's you know a robot dog and like he has claws on his feet and he has this tail that's like a long flexible cable that you can like whip around and it has three little Smaller things so he can use that to like grip things. Uh, there's a DLC thing called Blade Wolf where you play as him in this like hour long prequel thing, and like he actually uses that to like uh to access buttons in some places. And if and also that he the chainsaw thing, he like the way he uses it is he uses his tail to grab onto it and then pick it up and swing it around, huh? And also. It's kind of creepy that when he, when Blade Wolf takes electrolytes from enemies, the tail shoots out and grabs them. And it's this weird, creepy, animalistic thing that he does. Yeah, I guess it is his primary
1: manipulator. Yeah. But in this fight, he mainly uses it to throw knives at you. But like these weird, crazy, superheated knives. Yeah, like you,
0: you the game actually shows them like one misses Raiden and, like, melts part of a stone wall.
1: Yeah, and Raiden somehow catches one in his weird cyborg high heels.
0: Yeah, that's the thing we, I was going to mention, was, like, he has, like, he, like, his cyborg feet are made into high heels, I guess, because Doctor really wanted to accentuate his butt or something.
2: <laughs> well, you know why, you'll feel ashamed of your words and deeds. <laughs>
0: But yeah, so that starts off another boss fight with LQ-84i. And I'm glad I have the thing open because I would not have remembered that uh, code number. This is a fight that is like a brick wall to any player
1: who hasn't gotten around to understanding parrying. Like, I think this probably should have been
0: like... This is the parrying test. Mm -hmm. Because... Because, yeah, the blade wolf just, like, is a, like an animal just on you and, like, using his front claws and swinging his chainsaw thing at you relentlessly.
1: Yeah, you cannot move quickly enough to really get out of the way of most of attacks. And he has, even if you have the, um, the dodge move, if you purchased it from the store, like... That's got a cooldown on it. So for this fight, you really need to parry. There are a couple breaks in the fight, though, where he summons a pair of... a set of cyborgs. He says something like... I forget, but he summons a group of cyborgs, and then he fights you some more. Then he summons a gecko, and then after you beat that, you fight him some more. But eventually... You get into your first your first boss blade mode with Zondatsu Kill thing where Raiden grabs Blade Wolf, tosses him up into the air, there's a blade mode trigger, and then you
0: are free to just cut him into a billion pieces. Yeah, I love it. We should figure up we should include a link, like you made a little hilarious YouTube video because later on Doctor actually rebuilds Blade Wolf, so there's a part where there's a codec call where he's like, "Do you think you could rebuild him?" Yeah, I think it's theoretically possible. Why do you ask? And like, yeah, you did a great job juxtaposing that with. Thank you, thank you. Cut, cut it, cutting uh, Blade Wolf into dozens and dozens of chunks that fall on the ground.
2: Exactly sixty-nine chunks. Which
0: yeah, exactly sixty-nine. Yes, that was a that was a great touch. You, you you worked in the sex number. You need to do another take where you get four hundred and twenty. I guess.
2: But... <laughs> Doc, that wolf UG. You think it's possible to repair it? Why do I? Just curious.
1: Yeah. So. After you cut him into a billion pieces, you get a call from the codec from an undefined from an unknown number.
0: Yeah, and like the the dog gives you a final bit of dialogue, which is kind of weird that it's able to do that, but that becomes a thing with the bosses in this. And I love that his final line in this chapter is freedom undefined yeah
1: the general gist of it is that he doesn't want to fight right in but he kind of has to if he wants to keep living you know and what's it? in makes the point of asking him at one point before the fight like oh hey what's the point of all that intellect if you're not allowed to use it mm-hmm. so then uh after that, Raiden starts to walk down a bridge when parts of the bridge start to explode. Because of course it does. Things just explode in this world. So Raiden's just... And it turns out it's because of, I think, two or three hammerheads, which are these helicopter UGs. At this point, you don't really fight them. You just kind of ninja run as they explode things behind you. But eventually, you get to an arena... Where they basically teach you about sub
0: weapons, mm-hmm. because because you do like I said, there's you know grenades and rocket launchers and also like uh, homing missiles that you can use. And like I said, they're contextual, but when they're handy, they they can be really handy. And, and in a couple cases, they're like the best way to make a terrible fight really bearable.
1: Yeah. So if you manage to nail the hammerhead. That With a homing missile, then it just sort of sinks to ground level while it's dizzied, I guess. After that, you fight through a bit more. Then you get to a gate where they say, Oh, hey, yeah, in order to get past this barricade, you're going to need to scan an officer's left hand. And then they send you to backtrack, which is really weird.
2: Apparently... Well, I'm a dupe because I actually did that, but apparently you can just cut the gate open at that point and keep going.
0: (laughs) I I did not figure that out, but I'm not a little bit surprised. There's a lot of places where it's like, oh, there's a door that's closed. And then you just chop it into little pieces and walk through.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So this is the first of 30 officer left hands, which if... Which basically serve as uh,
0: unlockable stuff in the game. Yeah, you can get, like, there's a menu in the main menu for, like, concept art and stuff, and that's one of the ways you unlock them.
1: Yeah, so another important thing I should... Well, you also get unlockable weapons and stuff, but the really important thing about... The really interesting thing here is that um, what they're trying to teach you is that these guys, when you go into Blade mode, everything looks kind of blue-tinted. But with these guys, the officers, their left hands are red and there is a bright, like almost sky blue or whitish section where if you cut through that part, then you get their left hand. Well, you got to walk. Well, their left hand falls on the ground as a power up and you can collect it. But yeah. Hmm. So after this little tutorial, Raiden sees the terrorist guy. Dolzaev, and an unknown woman at a refinery
0: from a... And the woman is wearing a really weird, huge, puffy, like, pink and black jacket.
1: Yeah. You can't make out what they're saying, but they seem to be arguing. Then Dolzaev, you know, walks away. Then the woman on the refinery railing sort of looks directly at Raiden, even though she is, like, quite a ways away, and Raiden has to use, like, some optical thingy to even see her.
0: And she, like, blows a kiss, and he, like, completely freaks out about it for some reason. Oh, yeah, he, like, brings up his sword to try to parry it. (laughs) Yeah, like, I don't think it works that way, Raiden. I know you (laughs) haven't found many things you can't cut before, but... (laughs) Yeah, so that's when Doctor calls him and is like, oh, Raiden, your heart rate spiked, what
1: happened? And Riden just says, I just dodged a bullet. <laughs> uh, so you proceed, there's more fighting, I think this is when they do a couple more stealth things, and then you finally meet this
0: mystery woman. Yes, this is the next boss, Mistral, who is a French-Algerian woman who is also a cyborg and one of the weirder creepier cyborg designs in the game which is saying something so there's these things called they call them tripods
1: oh yeah yeah
0: and like so so there's a sphere like imagine one of the like ai spheres from portal only black with a red eye and then it has things where it plugs in a like a cyborg style arm so it's like a so like three of them so they have so it's these weird sphere things with three jet black human arms that can walk around and stuff and they're, they're generally kind of creepy and Mistral can like, they're her pets and she can like, she takes the arms off of like half a dozen of them and attaches them to special sockets on her cyborg body. So she is the arm lady. Yeah. And, and like a lot of them, like not, she, like she could have gone for like having eight limbs to be a spider, but no, she, she went way further than that.
1: Yeah, it's
0: yeah, it is really, really weird. Mm-hmm. It's cool. It's imaginative as hell, but it's yeah, it's kind of creepy. And uh, she also like takes some of them to make like a staff, and like the uh, the like artificial muscle fiber lets them become rigid or soft, so she can switch between using it as a staff or a whip.
1: Yeah, the official name. Uh, because after you finish this fight, you can buy it in the shop is the pole arm. <laughs> uh, that's very good. Uh, yeah. Also, she is like maybe one of my favorite songs in the game.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. So during this fight and before the fight, she, her basic backstory is that, you know, she was a French Algerian. Her parents died in the war. So she went to kill the people that killed her parents and she found out that she really really liked killing so she just sort of did that as her profession but then it you know she it just sort of wore out on her for a while and she kind of began to realize that oh a lot of the people that she kills are dying for causes they believe in but she just feels kind of hollow because she's just doing all this for basically because she's stuck in her patterns Until one day, a person that she only refers to as he shows up and then offers her a cause.
0: A charismatic supervillain who offers a sense of purpose to his minions? I've never seen that before. Well, I mean, the tripods are... The tripods only have one eye, but I wouldn't call them minions. (laughs) Oh, thank God. Uh, That would be quite a different game. Yeah. On the other hand, I think some people would like seeing min- someone ripping the arms off of minions, but that's a... I don't want to think about that. Let, let, let's, stop. let's move on.
1: Yeah. So this is a really cool fight where you fight Mistral, but you also have a ton of the... And we call them tripods. They're also called dwarf geckos. Like There are a ton of those running around also, and they try to grab you and... When they latch onto you, they start draining your fuel cells, which power your blade meter, and then they explode if they stay on you for too long.
0: Yeah, they're kind of a, a double-edged sword for you because they they can attack you like that, but they all but also if you kill one, like they they often have like a repair thing that fully restores your health. Yeah, that's really good. Which in that respect, like almost like it like. If you're able to to stay on top of things, like it, it makes the fight actually relatively easy because you don't have to worry about not taking damage that much.
1: Yeah, so when you're fighting Mistral, she has her big giant pole arm, but when you're wailing on her and she's blocking and other stuff, every once in a while you get a blade mode prompt where you're shown a weak link in the arms, and if you cut through that, you destroy her weapon. And then she isn't able to use that weapon. She has to like throw geckos at you. And I mean that literally she throws them at you.
0: Yeah. She has quite the relationship with those uh, in the Blade Wolf DLC. There's a scene where she's uh, taught. She's talking to the dog and saying, being weird about him. And like, she has the tripods, like make a chair for her out of themselves, including two of the hands gripping her butt To be the seat, it's it's quite the image.
1: Yeah, so eventually you wear her down and you go into a sequence where she tries to attack Ryden, but ends up striking a big giant vat of conveniently placed liquid nitrogen, which starts to freeze her, and then you get a blade mode prompt.
0: Yeah, she like and it's so weird that when after you kill her that way, she does a codec call?
2: Yeah. That's...
1: Apparently, like for people who really, really look at it, Raiden can cut them into a billion pieces, but he never cuts apart the part of the head that houses the brain. Like anything huh. under the anything below the jaw is the below the upper jaw is fine for him to cut into a billion pieces. <laughs> So she just sort of gives a dying speech that, oh, yeah, she understands now what it's like to die for a cause. She seems relatively satisfied, but, you know, she seems to be talking as if she was talking to him, the mysterious man who showed up. But Dolcev is on those comms and he thinks he's talking to her.
0: And he flips the f*** out because he's really upset that she just got killed.
1: Yeah, and he ends up, he talks about how the oil refinery is basically Abkhazia's prison because it was built by the Russians and the Russians support basically puppet governments inside Abkhazia. And then he says something like, oh yeah, built by Russia money to make Russia money, Mm. but it is our prison. And then he just blows himself up and the refinery... You'll learn in later Codec Calls that this has the grand total effect of shutting the refinery down for a few months while they rebuild.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, it's a major theme in this game that like the, the a lot of the terrible stuff that goes on is very uh, systemic and just keeps rolling on no matter what you do, which is depressing, but very realistic.
1: Yeah, so that is the end of File R01. Uh, general
0: thoughts about the level? Uh, I enjoyed it. I, I It definitely had some really cool, memorable characters.
2: I think that the part where like the theme of Escalation really clicked with me was when you, in the first actual level, fight a helicopter with a rocket launcher several times, which is sort of a late-game thing in most Metal Gear Solid that I've played. Mm.
1: Hmm. Yeah, and here they're just like almost regular
2: enemies. Yeah, and I feel the... Um... The Metal Gear Ray fight in the beginning didn't really click with me for some reason. I think that was part. This, partly a seasonal effect for Sword, and partially the uh, difference in scale made the sort of feats of strength feel almost cartoonish. Whereas here, I think the more equal level of fight between Mistral and Dryden, where they're both these superhuman cyborgs, made it feel much more dynamic and more. I could get more invested in as they fight. So I think this was sort of where the game hits its stride for me. Mm.
1: Yeah, this level for me felt you know, it is a tutorial, but then you have the Mistral fight, you have the uh, you have the hammerheads, you know, you have a lot of the elements that make metal gear what it is, like the absolute weird characters. You're not just doing crazy shenanigans to robots, you're doing them to crazy people. So, uh, yeah, that's the end of file R02. Now, if you listen to a codec call in this level, or a particular one, you find a setup for the next level where Kevin, who is a... I forgot what he does at Maverick, but he explains that a humanitarian aid group has discovered a illegal chemical dumping in Guadalajara. And they spotted Desperado troops down there. So, file R02 is when Raiden goes over to there.
0: And we the first thing we see is Raiden in like a mariachi costume that apparently someone sold him. Like like there's a coda call with Courtney where she's just like He's like, yeah, the guy at the shop told me it would let me blend in. And it's like, well, you you look a thousand percent like a tourist. You're the most touristy tourist that ever toured. <laughs> and even better, after this level, you can spend 20,000 battle points to buy this costume and equip it for the rest of the game if you want. That's a lot to spend on it compared to like what you could use for upgrades for you know things that actually matter. But I don't know about you, but I did go and buy it. Oh, yeah,
1: having a permanent mariachi disguise sounds like a bargain. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> also, um, also in the car when Raiden is driving around, it turns out that, yeah, Doc has reconstructed our LQ-84i unit
0: into a friendly blade wolf. And he's changed the design a little bit. Like, the... It used to have, like, a uh, translucent red shell around the head, and now, like, he actually has, like, a sort of robotic caricature of a dog with like actual teeth and stuff.
1: <laughs> nice. Oh, also another funny thing I noticed. So, okay. So Raiden's car, it's this black limo or not a limo. It's sports car thing. It looks really smooth. So the license plate uh, says, um, let's see, PIG 573, which is a platinum and Konami joke. Mm-hmm. Uh, Five seven three is like a Japanese. It's one of those Japanese number joke things. Oh, oh, I get it. Five seven three Kodami. Oh yeah, yeah. Then on the car's horn, where you'd find the uh, the car manufacturer's logo, it's a B, but it's the upside down version of the platinum P. So Raiden takes his ridiculous outfit that. All of the people around him are, like, staring at him, and he just pulls open a drainage gate thing and just jumps right in.
0: Yeah, there's, like, some Mexican guys, and they're speaking in subtitled Spanish, just, like, freaking out seeing the sight of him.
1: It's like, oh, what the hell is a cyborg doing here?
2: As I think we all would if a skull-faced monster in a racist costume jumped into a sewer in front of us and... yeah,
1: yeah. In the town. That hat is as wide as Raiden is tall. <laughs>
2: <laughs> God, what if they call those things? A Serape? Is it? I thought of it as a poncho but I think they do say Serape at some point.
1: Uh, okay. Alright, so Raiden jumps out of... goes into the sewers followed by this robot dog, Blade Wolf, and then the onlookers just say okay let's just move away and pretend we never saw any of this Mm -mm. which is just as good as stealth really (laughs) it's probably the
0: smart thing on their part
1: so a general idea here is that there was that talk about desperado and illegal chemical dumping but they've also been hearing stuff involving human trafficking so they think there might be a lab or something in the sewers and uh while raiden is sort of being briefed on this, Blade Wolf unfortunately does not fight alongside Raiden.
0: Yeah, that was one thing I was disappointed in, and it was like high on the list of things that like if they were to make a Metal Gear Rising Revengeance 2 or Metal Gear Rising Ultra Vengeance or whatever they would call it. Like I would hope that they would like find a way to work him in better. Because like they go to the trouble of rebuilding him so and he becomes a really cool character even so but like every time he's, you know, I will scout ahead, Raiden.
1: Yeah, he just moves on forward and occasionally calls back with exposition.
0: But yeah, so you have to, uh, you have to kind of fight your way through the sewers. There's cyborgs, there's these water strider robot things with flamethrowers and...
1: Yeah, they also, this is when they introduced mastiffs, which are, they are really, really brutal. They are these big giant gorilla looking UGs that... Oh yeah,
0: those guys. God, they, they, they're they one of the harder enemies, um, harder rank-and-file enemies to fight in this game.
1: Yeah, they... I mean, they have a gun, but they never use it. Well, they use it occasionally, but for the most part, they, like, hit you like a ton of bricks. They have a number of moves that can't be parried that involve grabbing Raiden and then just pounding him... <laughs>
2: Do you guys think it's. They're making a statement by having them named after the wrong animals, or why are the bulls named geckos and the gorillas named mastiffs? I have no idea. Like, it would almost make sense if they're trying to sort of distance themselves or sort of de-animalize them, but they're just named them after a different animal, so it's.
1: Yeah, and come to think of it, the helicopters are called hammerheads.
2: Hmm. I don't know. That's strange. I don't know if there's anything there or if it's just.
1: Yeah, it's it's really weird. The other UG in the game is called a slider. It's this like basically a flight backpack that can fight on its own. You,
0: but oh yeah, yeah, the the big wing things.
1: Yeah, yeah. I don't know if they're like named after any animal in
0: particular. Huh. It is. A, it is. Yeah, like Char said, it is a kind of an odd choice. But yeah, so you fight those off and. They are challenging as they as uh, minor enemies go in this game, but yeah. And then we meet George for the first time, who's another really fun character. Yeah. So
1: what happens is that Raiden is moving along. He hears voices from below, or Blade Wolf calls him, or something, and he jumps down in this hole. He sees this little kid, uh, where. You know, he's surrounded by, like, two or three tripods. So Raiden jumps down to the kid's rescue, except, you know, in the parts of the hole where he couldn't see through, there were a whole bunch of enemies that are called raptors, which are these two-legged dinosaur-ish thingies that are being piloted by tripods that are... They have this, like, weird stun EMP thing... But Raiden beats them, and then Raiden, he can finally have a conversation with George.
0: And George, like I said, he's a fun character. He is a young uh, boy from Guyana, which is uh, a country in in uh, South America. Um, and in the, if you listen to all the relevant Kodak calls, there's like some kind of interesting backstory. There's uh, three different countries, like there's French Guyana regular Guyana and a third one that I can't remember the name of and each one was settled by a different european power but uh the one he's from is one of the few uh south american countries where english is the main language which is why he speaks english albeit with this peculiar dialect like uh they actually they they give him subtitles like they give everyone else subtitles and then they give his subtitles subtitles so that you can understand what he's saying in standard american english like he like, he loves to use the word skunt, meaning like punk or asshole. Uh, it means something a bit more vulgar than that. Mm, okay. That's that's like what they subtitle it as. But yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh yeah. And also, one of my favorite thing about George is that he has definitely seen Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2 The Secret of the Ooze. Because when he sees uh, Raiden, he says, uh, Kawabanga! Go, Ninja! Go, Ninja! Go! <laughs> yeah. It is. Yeah. It is weird
1: because everybody else has just spoken like standard English with an accent. And then Mm -hmm. he just... I mean, I guess most people don't know about uh, Guyanese Creole. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So after Raiden manages to finally get him to calm down a bit after almost being attacked by those UGs, he says that there's a lab with bad guys in there who lure homeless children in with the promise of high-paying work, but they kidnap them, then bring them to the lab. So he overheard them talking about how they wanted to sell all of the kids' organs and take their brains. He tried to warn the other kids, but they don't speak English. He thinks they speak Spanish or something, his words. Mm -hmm. So he all he could do is just run away by himself.
0: Yeah, like he was he was brought from Guyana obviously and like these guys are grabbing also local children and stuff and so yeah, uh and th- this is this is where the kind of a little bit of almost body horror stuff cuz they're just like chopping these children apart yeah. for purely capitalist purposes.
1: Yeah. Also uh one thing he mentions here uh, or maybe a little bit later but he says that He saw some fancy guy with a suit down at the lab. So this is the first hint we have that, hey, something is, you know, we finally have some idea of a possible mastermind of what's been going on with Desperado. Mm -hmm. So uh, let's see, George is directed to go back and get to safety, Raiden moves forward for a while, but then he comes across maybe one of the best sub-weapons in the game. The cardboard box.
0: Yes, they they actually explain in a, there's a codec call with Kevin, I think it was, who explains that it was uh it's actually like a cardboard box made for transporting medical supplies. So it has a insulated medical lining or insulated protective lining made of metal that like uh so to protect it from like heat and so on which makes it impenetrable to infrared sensors which every cyborg has yeah so like so like they're like they're actually remarking like oh man if only snake were here to hear about this you would love it (laughs) it'd have a thing (laughs) for boxes yeah
1: oh yeah if you so the way it's pretty much the classic cardboard box you equip it, and then you walk around with the cardboard box on you. But, if you have the mariachi outfit, Raiden can't fit the hat underneath the cardboard (laughs) box. Fantastic. So, he just wears the hat on top of the box.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's fantastic.
1: Yeah, so you know, these Yuji's that are patrolling the sewers, and they have a codec call to explain why Yuji's are patrolling sewers. Uh, Yeah, so these UGs come by, they see this hat-wearing cardboard box, and they just ignore it. Mm. Oh, man. Uh... So yeah, you get through an area where you can sneak past or fight a number of Mastiffs, and then you're told that, oh, hey, we think the lab may be somewhere around this location. And you see a wall that looks just a little weird. So, when you hit that wall, some kind of like hologram breaks or something, and these steel doors fall down to the ground. And it reveals a steel hallway. You have found the underground lab. So, this is where they start to come up with a plan. So, George saw some big, fancy person inside the lab, so they reason it must be someone important. So, they need to find out who it is. So, they figure, oh, that guy was here regularly. He must have been caught on lab security footage. So Raiden needs to somehow access the lab security footage to figure out who this person is. It's, uh, Doctor has a specific method of getting said lab footage.
0: Oh, right, right. This is where he says that Raiden needs to take a doomp.
1: Yes. Raiden's like, what? He explains that it stands for digital,
0: optical, something, something, or other. I wrote it. I, I made a point to copy it. It's digital optical output mounted proxy. Of, <laughs> of course, Hair Doctor says you need to take a doom without any context.
1: Yeah. And of course, he doesn't get that it has any other meaning. Mm-hmm. So the idea is that... Raiden can't access the servers directly, so he needs to piggyback onto something that can access the systems. So, in other words, he needs to find a dwarf gecko and basically take it over mentally with his weird cyborg stuff, which he does. He finds a dwarf gecko that just isn't turned on. He plugs a cable from his head into the dwarf gecko, and now Raiden is the dwarf gecko.
0: Yeah, and you have this kind of difficult uh, portion of the game where you have to, like, sneak around. And you can do, like, sneak attacks on guys, but basically your your actual objective is to get to the uh, waypoint to to access a computer with the, the tripod.
1: Yeah. The uh, things you can do as a tripod are if you sneak up on a... Or even if you just run up to a guard from behind and tap the circle or a B button, then it'll just give them a little hug and just sort of Aww. charge up with electricity, then just sort of zap the back of their neck, and then they pass out. <laughs> but I forget what causes them to regard you as hostile, but if you're walking relatively slowly and you don't get too close to a guard, then they won't bother you. But if you walk up to a gecko and then tap the Y button, you do this thing where... Raiden lifts two of the geckos' three arms up and claps a few times above the head while just sort of standing up on the remaining hand, and then the other geckos will do it back to you. (laughs) Fantastic. In fact, you get an achievement for greeting all of the dwarf geckos. (laughs) And these things are, like, maybe knee-high. It's cute and weird. Yeah, but I don't know how many of them have left hands. <laughs> so, yeah, you get the security footage.
0: So the security footage shows you a man in a suit talking to a uh, apparently Mexican man in a lab coat, who's the uh, the guy who's doing all these terrible things to children. Uh, but the man in the suit turns out to be none other than Senator Armstrong from the United States.
1: Yeah. Senator of Colorado. Mm-hmm. He's made a very specific deal here. He's been talking to the scientist guy, and he wants the children's brains
0: for something that he calls the Sears Program, named after the uh the President Sears in the Metal Gear Solid universe. That is, yeah. Not it's not terribly concerned with department stores that are going out of business, but
1: <laughs> yeah. So the idea is that he says that, hey, we need those br- all the brains ASAP. We need to accelerate the time schedule. The scientist is kind of shocked. And it turns out that, oh, hey, somebody's snooping around, so we need to hurry it up. The scientist is upset and he says, oh, you know, we can't just scoop the brains out with an ice cream scoop. It's literally brain surgery. Then Armstrong, in a surprising thing for a villain, just acknowledges, uh, you know, you're... Yeah, you're right. I'm being unreasonable. Tell you what, I will pay you for all of the children and all of the brains that I've collected so far. You know, I just want you to go ahead and just eliminate whatever children can't be carried
0: out so there won't be any witnesses. In case you were wondering if he's a bad guy. Yes, he is.
1: Yeah, the guy the scientist is kind of shocked because, hey, you know, those have, you know, those have actual value, you know, money-wise. And Armstrong is just like, oh, last time I checked, you know, street children weren't exactly rare in this part of the world. So he's like super evil.
0: Yeah, although when he says they're not exactly rare, he's not even a little bit wrong about that. But
1: Oh, yeah, they will, if you talk on the Codex, they will talk your ear off about Mhm the terrible reality of street children. Yep.
0: And like Kevin talks at length about like the, the difficulties, even like the organizations that track this, like have trouble deciding on the proper classification and it's really terrible and complicated because that's how life works.
1: Yeah. So basically the things that are established at this point is that they're taking a bunch of children's brains to someplace and there are a bunch of children that are going to be killed off while they go ahead and shut down the lab and pretend it never existed. So Raiden needs to hurry up and get over there. Wait, is this when you see the uh I
0: think it the brain yeah. uh, you cases? You yes.
2: Sort of bumble into this room that's just lined all the walls are lined with these tubes with It looks almost like this like Apple hardware or something like that. These sort of clean white cases little Orbs in front, and then the orbs open, and you realize these are all human brains with eyeballs that have turned to stare at you as you wandered in.
0: It's like a, it's like a more stylish anime version of Robocop, 2. Like,
1: so they reasoned that uh, you know Raiden might still be able to save those children because you know the scientists probably won't kill them until the payment is cleared. I admit I don't know too much about the world of finance, but sure. <laughs> So he runs along and walks into a warehouse-ish sort of place. And then this uh, pillbox bunker on treads or wheels or something just starts attacking and they start to play rules of nature. Yeah,
2: it didn't feel like I was walking into a boss fight here until I realized that it was a boss fight and the level was over. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, it's a little weird that the... They didn't have, like, one of the Winds of Destruction here. Uh, the Winds of Destruction, by the way, are the, uh... Basically, this game's, like, Beauty and the Beast unit, Foxhound, etc. Yeah, the, the the collective name for the
0: team that the, most of the boss characters comprise.
1: Yeah, so here you're fighting what is called a Grad, which is a Ukrainian
0: UG that... That has a degree in economics. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes. Yeah, it has like a sort of bunker-ish mode. that has machine guns, rockets, and it's basically trying to get keep you from getting any further into the warehouse. And the plates of armor that sort of make it up can like thrust forward and hit you. But as Raiden moves forward and just sort of forces it back with parries and just plain hacking away at it with the katana, you enter a larger room where it, where the grad transforms into a bipedal mode with roller skates or whatever. So this boss is, uh, scram. It's a boss. (laughs) Yeah. Like
0: it's, it's not like, it's not bad as far as like game mechanics. It's just, it's a robot that you fight and it doesn't have any real personality to it.
2: I'd like to argue with Aaron and say, actually it is because the stun mechanic is the single worst part of this game. Yeah. Yeah. And this guy loves to do it. That's true.
0: It, also, the, the, the funny thing about it is because, like, if, uh, if Blade Wolf gets stunned, it says, like, AI error. But if uh, Raiden or another cyborg gets stunned, it says BMI error. it's like, oh, no, my body mass index has got thrown off. <laughs> There's a codec call, of course, because of course there is. We eventually find out that it is, actually means uh, brain machine interface error. Yes, I guessed it right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I I've, I've been watching cuz I mentioned there was that 6-hour video of all the codec calls and I almost done watching all the way through it. It's yeah. It's a podcast. It's, yeah, basically a very it's it's a hardcore history length podcast. Yeah. Uh, by the way, if you if you're not familiar, check out hardcore history. It's great.
1: But anyway. Oh yeah, one more note here for the fight. So the grad uh, it's general deal is that it has these armor plates that it can use to slam into you and stun you, but you want to cut apart the armor plates and eventually hack at the nice roboty bits underneath. But uh, one thing here I was very surprised by. So, Char and Aaron, you were playing the game on easy mode to try to get through it easier, yeah?
0: yeah. Uh, not, Well, to, to get through it, period. I mean, I even on easy mode, there were a couple of bosses later in the game that had a lot of frustration mm-hmm. with. Fair.
2: Oh, yeah, I... Last time I played this game, I got to, um, God, I forget. Was it, uh, Slipstream Sam? Jetstream Sam?
0: Oh, uh, Jetstream, yeah.
2: His name keeps falling out of my head. I got to the part where you fight him later in the game and then ended up falling off the game and quitting. So I just wanted to see if I could get through the game with as little friction as possible on my second try. And, yeah, I played uneasy. easy. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I played it on Very Hard, and for this fight, they throw two of them at you. <laughs> oh, jeez. Yeah, with the upped damage and everything. Yo, was it when you said that they, like, triple the damage? Oh, uh, no, in the... Uh, no, that's uh, for Revengeance mode. So at Very Hard, oh. they throw, like, tougher enemies at you. Like, that very first fight in the game where they tell you to vary between light and heart attacks, where they throw you up against three cyborgs... In Revengeance mode, they throw geckos into there. It, on a Revengeance mode, though, they triple the damage that enemies do, but they also triple the damage of parry counters. That's kind of cool, but yeah. So yeah, eventually you start fighting the... You fight through the grad. you start looping... They start uh, filtering more instruments into the music. Eventually it just screams rules
0: of nature at you, and then you make it explode. Well, that, that's how a lot of things end in this. But one of the things that was interesting about the the interview with the composer was that, like, he, the term he used was stems. Uh, basically, like, they made literally over a hundred like snippets of music that that the game could that they could like rearrange and assemble. And like, actually, the 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 beta version of the like the demo version most of the songs were significantly different and had different lyrics and they reworked them for the final game. Uh. But anyway, yeah, you're saying? Yeah, so the best part about this fight is
1: the music and yeah, so you blow it up and you move on and you enter this room with like white, with uh, these pods with like a white fluid inside them. And Doctor just, he just calls you, unprompted and says oh those are artificial cryo blood preservers it slows down the metabolism of harvested organs it can keep them alive for hours and was probably used to preserve child organs for sale then you walk
0: into the next room over and that's when a cutscene starts is that the one where the, the the uh doctor has not doctor the uh organ harvester guy has uh has rock- the mirror universe doctor <laughs> who has a. Uh, even has a little mustache yeah um that's the one where he has george hostage right yeah
1: oh yeah yeah so george he's got george being held at gunpoint and there's a glass wall in the room and on the other side of that glass wall is a ton of children and then
0: he they, they're they're yeah they're pumping chloroform in there so as an aside it's a thing in movies that like you know the chloroform guy like hold a rag over their face, and they they just fall asleep. But in real life, like, you can use it that way, but you have to actually be really careful because any significant concentration of chloroform can pretty easily kill a person. So they are, in fact, using it to gas these kids.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so Raiden moves to break the glass, but the scientist says that to surrender or he'll shoot George... So George says specifically something like, oh, me life, not such precious thing. But basically he says, don't worry about me. Yeah, the scientists are basically, are you going to save the many or the few? Which I feel is a really bad thing to ask a cyborg ninja while you're holding a kid hostage. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: But yeah, so George basically gives him permission. So Raiden uses his unbelievably fast speed to get in and kill the scientist before he can even get the shot off.
1: Yeah, like, George manages to throw the guy's balance off for just a moment. Mm -hmm. But that's all Raiden needs. And then the guy, like, you only see, like, the upper... You don't see anything especially gory, but, like, he just looks stunned, and then his torso just, like, kind of slides down and to the right.
0: Yeah, it's one of the few times they they actually show a non-cyborg person getting killed in the game. And, that, yeah, a lot of it is off-camera, but even still. Oh, shoot. Did writing give him a warning? Uh, I don't think he gave him a formal one. It was like, uh, George said, you know, me life ain't so precious. And he's like, that's exactly what I wanted to hear. (laughs) Or, no. (laughs) (laughs) That's a really sadistic way to say it. It's like, that's what I needed to hear. That's all I needed to hear. Yeah. And, And, yeah, charges in. And, like, it was frustrating to me for a moment because, like, it fades out with him doing a cool pose with a sword. And I'm like, break the glass, break the glass. You're going to break the glass, right? Go break, the- save the kids, right? Right? <laughs> but yeah, that's where, the, that's where the chapter ends, basically. Uh, the glass is totally going to
1: be a, like a glass UG or something. Yes. <laughs> so you can go into blade mode instantly. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the reason I brought up the, did Raiden bring up a warning thing is because one of the codec calls Boris and Raiden talks specifically about like, The rules of engagement are still a thing. It sort of establishes, like, how far apart cyborgs are from normal people. So the general rules of engagement are you don't attack non-combatants. You can only attack an unenhanced human if you give them a verbal warning first. Like, no matter how heavily they're armed or whatever. Mm -hmm. And you can... He can fight cyborgs and UGs pretty much. But anyway, yeah, that's... A surprising amount of realism and consideration given to this game where you chop robots into
0: thousands of pieces mm-hmm. and um it's not like a thing in the main part of the game but over the course of many codec calls they actually talk a lot about what they do with the child brains that they rescued like a uh, doctor like puts a tremendous amount of effort and funding into like figuring out like they they have to temporarily give them like VR suites to live in mentally, so that they don't go crazy. Um, they have they like they try to work with like humanitarian organizations to to find homes for them, but it's difficult because they have to figure out some kind of cyborg bodies for them, and on and on like that.
1: Yeah, cyborgs are very expensive.
0: Yeah, so it's actually it's really cool that they put this thing in the story, and it wasn't at all like just a throwaway thing. Like they put a lot of thought into it, and like dealt with the reality of what would happen.
1: Yeah, and then they just Raiden asks Doctor about, hey, how did you, you know, what is this? These, um, was it four star hotel suite virtual reality things? And the Doctor had an assistant, like, basically find free assets to throw these things together. So, yeah, so basically made out of like free Unity stuff. (laughs) Yeah, so that's, yeah, so Raiden presumably freeze the children as that's the end of that chapter. So uh, what did you think about that chapter in general?
0: Um, I, th- I think that was like, what I liked about it was that like, it was where you first got to really like understand just how terrible the villains are. Like it really solidified them as bad guys. And like, it did some really interesting world building that this is a world where like it's a feasible thing to do to, Kidnap a bunch of children, cut their brains out, and give them VR training to turn them into cyborg soldiers or uh, child soldiers, well, cyborg too. But yeah,
1: yeah. Oh, uh, one more thing I probably should mention this is more of a lead into the next one. But uh, the reason why Senator Armstrong is known to them is because he was investigated for his ties to World Marshal, which is a major, major, major PMC.
0: Yeah, which we'll 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 talk about them more next episode because they're a pretty big deal.
1: Yeah, but the the big tricky thing about them is that they are headquartered and situated within the United States, like they are in Colorado.
0: Yeah, which that's what a future chapter is going to be all about.
1: Yeah. So, uh, so yeah. Uh, ba- anyway, back to the uh what we were talking about earlier. The um, yeah, general thoughts on the chapter
0: char what do you think i
2: think uh i agree with you story-wise i think it does a lot of really strong groundwork to make you to hook you into a story in the way the beginning of the game doesn't quite do aside from introducing the idea of the uh cyborgs you're going to be fighting i think the the actual gameplay up until the boss is interesting i think something we didn't talk too much about is that especially when you're fighting ugs the uh Ability to dismember enemies will change their combat patterns. and I, The fact that you fight so many UGs in the source gives you a lot of opportunity to see how the Mastiffs fight when they're uh, taken apart in various ways, which is sort of a neat thing.
1: Oh, yeah. Like, the, when you're fighting them, sometimes their arms or legs will appear tinted blue once you do enough damage. And that means you can just slice off that limb.
2: And, yeah, it's, I think it was kind of strange that there was such a prominent sewer level in 2013. I feel like maybe I haven't noticed it, I feel like games have sort of moved away from that more now, but...
1: Yeah, I feel like this level felt like when the real game starts. Yeah, it,
2: it, it definitely feels like the beginning of the actual plot, and they've gotten all the tutorialization out of the way. It's, I'm interested to see what the rest of the game is like, to see what the first two chapters are like in comparison to that, if it still feels as extraneous.
1: Yeah, this is a yeah. I specifically chose this point as a break off point because I feel it's a it is a really good dividing line, both story wise and mechanics and pacing and everything. Oh yeah, so another fun thing with like how you can hack off the UG limbs. You know those uh water skater UGs mm-hmm. with the flamethrowers. I haven't been able to do it myself, but you can cut through the fuel canisters for their flamethrower mm. and then they can't use it huh. anymore.
0: Interesting. Yeah. Oh, another little thing about this stage that I liked was there's a codec call where uh, Raiden talks to Kevin and Kevin says is kind of bragging that he he had a good time like picking up chicks in Guadalajara right. and that That sets off Raiden giving him relationship advice. It's really good. And and like and and like Raiden is already like married and has a child, so it's kind of like, Kevin, listen to me. Like you need you need to accept that they have those little flaws that keep things exciting. You're in your thirties. You need to settle down.
2: Yeah, I just realized Raiden is a father. Does that make the boss face level dads versus grads?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh god, that's perfect. Um, so let's do a little bit of uh uh, finishing up stuff before we finish out this episode, so I believe you have something special for us.
1: Yes, I have prepared a small quiz
0: for the two of you. All right, let's let's do this.
1: Okay, so this composes a uh, this is composed of three questions. I want to say they're worth uh one, two, and three points in total.
0: Oh, there are points.
1: Yes. So the uh, you know the points don't mean anything because nothing here
0: has stakes. There are points, I want to have lots of them. Yes.
1: So, I am going to describe three enemies or characters from anything Metal Gear related. Not literally anything, like I won't talk about stuff that's original characters. Do Do not steal. Okay. (laughs) Yes. But anything is fair game. That was released commercially. Mm Mm-hmm. I have three questions. Each of these will have three enemies described. One of these enemies is fake. I would like you to identify the fake one. (laughs) Oh boy. Okay, so uh, let's see. All right, so I would like both of you to answer each of the question, but I'll vary who answers first based on the point total, because I am a designer who is obsessive compulsive like that. (laughs) Okay. Okay, so the first trio of enemies. Which of these is fake? Number one, the running man, a former Olympic sprinter who can run extremely quickly. He locks himself in a room with Snake and floods it with deadly neurotoxin and dares Snake to catch up with him to defeat him and turn the poison off. <laughs> Two, Arm Joe, a former Parisian boxer who lost his right arm in an accident. To pay off his debts, he started doing mercenary group for a work that gave him a cybernetic replacement arm with a different weapon implanted in the knuckle of each finger. Number three, Mesaru a gigantic monkey robot that was seized by guerrilla forces. (laughs) So you have the running man, Arm Joe, and Messaru Gear. Uh, which of these is which of the,
0: these do you two think is fake?
2: I feel like they might all be real. I, I
0: have... <laughs> the trick question, yeah. No, um, I don't know much about Metal Gear. I've, I've watched videos of some of the other games, but yeah, so I'm just going to guess that it was Joe. I
2: feel like Arm Joe is actually real. I'm thinking of something else with that same name. I'm going to say it was Mesaru Gear. <laughs>
1: All right, so just to clarify, Aaron is Armjo Chara's Masaru gear. Mm -hmm. All right, so let's go down them one by one. So the running man, the Olympic sprinter, was an enemy in Metal Gear 2, Solid Snake. Mm. Yes, in order to defeat this guy who could run really fast and run around in... Uh, Lapse Snake had to plant landmines to turn his foe's <laughs> strength against him. <laughs> then he could turn off the deadly neurotoxin. Messaru the giant bipedal monkey robot that was seized by Gorilla Forces, was from Ape Escape Three in the minigame. Messal gear solid snake escape <laughs> solid snake is in there oh Missal oh, is the official romanization of messaru but i think messaru is gets the joke across better <laughs> so is it canon oh goodness no okay <laughs> but yeah it is an ape escape 3 minigame arm joe is the fake uh, one yeah.
2: i okay, knew okay. i had heard that name before i didn't know with the live fighting game
1: yeah, it is the lame Miserables fighting game.
2: <laughs> God damn oh, it. Man.
1: Which in Japan is called Ah Mujo.
0: <laughs> I sort of worked that in with the Parisian boxer.
2: <laughs> oh, God damn it, man. God damn it.
0: That's very good. I, I, uh, I applaud you.
1: Yay. All right. Uh, let's see. Right now, Aaron is ahead, so he'll have to answer first. Which of these three Metal Gear enemies is fake? Number one, Colonel Vermin Katafi, a former shepherd who became fascinated with terrorists as a child, so he left home to become one. He said goodbye to his 27 sisters, then pulled up his own bootstraps to found his own country and build his own Metal Gear. Two, The Lord of Dust. A being composed of self-replicating nanomachines capable of raising the dead and creating a zombie army. Number three, Metal Gear Vitruvius, a quadrupedal mech designed by Leonardo da Vinci for use in the Austrian-Hungarian War. It never, he never took it out of the design phase, but a prototype would be produced centuries later using his designs with modern materials. Which of these is fake? Aaron,
0: <laughs> What was the first one called again? Oh, sorry.
1: Uh, the three choices are Colonel Vermin Katafi, the Lord of Dust, and Metal Gear Vitruvius.
0: Okay, uh, so knowing that Metal Gear Survive exists, I'm going to say Colonel Vermin. Okay, and Char, what do you think?
2: Uh, I want you guys to know that I'm thinking harder about this than I've thought about anything in the last five years. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel like, talking through this, I want to say that the first one is either faking towards the original Metal Gear Without Her Heaven. I don't think he was involved in that. I'm going to say, yeah, I think I'm going to say with was Vermin Katafi. All right, so, all right, so, uh, which one
1: did you say was the, okay, so Aaron said Katafi and Charles says Katafi? Hmm. No,
0: I said Vermin. Oh, Vermin. Same guy.
1: Oh, wait, you both. Oh, Vermin Katafi. Oh, okay.
0: They're the same thing. Okay.
1: Yeah. All right. Both of you guessed Vermin Katafi. Both of you are unfortunately wrong. Oh, <laughs> so, Colonel Vermin Katafi is, according to the back of the Metal Gear NES game, according to the back of the box, he created a nation called Outer Heaven and created Metal Gear a machine capable of launching a nuclear weapon from any point in the world. Katafi is listed on the box and the instruction manual, but never appears in the actual game.
0: <laughs> that is a deep cut.
1: Where he is instead replaced by Big Boss. Oh my
2: <laughs> yes. I played myself. The
1: Lord of Dust. <laughs> the Lord of Dust, as Aaron's correctly surmised, is an enemy from Metal Gear Survive, which is a being of self-replicating nanomachines that devours matter and creates more of itself, then uses energy to go back in time and reconsume things and just add infinite mass to itself until somebody can break the time loop. (sighs) Metal Gear Vitruvius is fake.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But amazing. Thank you, thank you.
1: It has... Yeah, I just took the dumbest idea I could think of. (laughs) And that says something about the believability of the Metal Gear series that (laughs) that seemed perfectly viable.
2: And you faked me out with the Ape Escape thing. I assume it was a crossover into something else, but you've set some masterful traps here.
1: Yeah, thank you. All right, so the last question with Aaron at one point and Char at zero points. (laughs) (laughs) Okay so i will li- so which one of these three characters is fake the first is roy a 15-year-old child soldier of noble birth in his home country he is an officer and leads his own army he wields a sword called the binding blade number 2 the sorrow a literal ghost capable of communing with the dead 3 coward the duck a master of the boomerang who hides behind prisoners and hostages. <laughs> Aaron must answer first. Oh my God. Which of these is fake? <laughs> Which of these never appeared
0: in a Metal Gear thing? Um Wow. Wow. Uh I'm going to just because I'm it's down to a guess at this point, I'm gonna say Coward the Duck.
1: Okay, Char. How many do you? Which do you think? I is think fake? Again, Roy, because
2: I'm fairly sure he's from Fire Emblem.
1: All right, and the answer is Roy. Yeah, Char gets three points, and Aaron gets one. Now here is <laughs> Coward the Duck, who was later re- Romanized, who relocalized as Dirty Duck, and had his name ch- changed to the Japanese one is an enemy from the original MSX (laughs) Metal Gear. The Sorrow is one of the members of the Cobra unit from Metal Gear Solid 3. In life, he was a spirit medium who died and then continued doing ghost stuff. Now, Roy, the 15-year-old child soldier, is from Fire Emblem. (laughs) That is the one that was never there. Specifically, he was in super smash brothers melee but solid snake was in super smash brothers brawl missing (laughs) roy by one game so as of this recording those two have never been in a game together so they do not count however by the year's end if you're listening to this in whenever that is Super Smash Bros. Ultimate will be out, which features every character that has ever appeared in a Smash Brothers game, including Roy and Solid Snake. Well, thereby
2: retroactively invalidating my winning of this quiz.
1: <laughs> well, then you can just take the points and go back in time and then reconsume the <laughs> Earth with points or whatever. So, yes, this has been my terrible, terrible quiz <laughs> to see how far people can stretch disbelief.
0: Oh man, pretty far when it comes to Metal Gear Solid, apparently. All right, uh, so that's going to do it for this time. Uh, we're going to do up the, we're going to finish up the second half of Metal Gear Rising: Revengeance next time, and then after that, we are going to be tackling Rifts, the tabletop role playing game from Palladium Books, originally published in 1990. So, we'll hope you'll tune in then. I know that tune in is an ac- anachronism when we're talking about podcasts, but you know what I mean. Alright, so this is Grant signing off. This
2: is Charles reminding you to listen to Hey, Ritter, It's a really good podcast.
0: <laughs> Alright, we'll see later, guys.